Welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. And today's podcast is from Psalm 91. Psalm 91 doesn't have a heading in the Hebrew text, though the Greek text, the Septuagint, attributes it to David. Listen to these words. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is you who delivers it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence, and he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high, because he has known my name. He will call to me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. For with a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Psalm 91 is a beautiful promise of great things for the people of God. It sounds much different than Psalm 88 which was darkness all day long. Psalm 89 began as a psalm of praise, but ended as a psalm of lament. God, what happened to your loving kindness and your faithfulness? Psalm 90 lamented the fact that we spend our days, our days, our secret sins are known to God, and that God calls us to account for our sins, and that our short lifespans are connected with sin and death. Psalm 91, in contrast to this, gives great and powerful promises. Let's see, first of all, what Psalm 91 says about God. It describes God as the Most High in verse 1. God being the Most High brings all our other opponents into focus. They look lowly and insignificant in comparison to the Most High. Title used several times in the exchange between Abraham and Melchizedek in Genesis Genesis 14, 17 through 24. God is referred to as the Most High. He is the Almighty in verse 1. 
He is described as the Lord, the covenant name by which he revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3. And he is my God, and he is worthy of our trust. We can abide in the shadow of the Almighty in verse 1. A ruler was sometimes expected to provide shade for his people. You see this idea in Lamentations 4 in verse 20. The imagery is the sun is beating down and the ruler provides a shelter and a shield from the heat. But it is only the Almighty who can provide the ultimate shelter, the ultimate shadow and shade. He is our refuge. He is our fortress. And verses 3 through 13 make wide-ranging promises in regard to the difficulties and problems of life. You notice that the Bible states negatively that these things will not affect the people of God. In verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but they shall not approach you. In verse 10, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. Sometimes God's, God's providence and God's protection is viewed as exempting us from all evil. There are motherly images invoked to describe God's protection. In verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. The idea of God as a mother hen who provides a shelter for her chicks has been found in Psalm 17 in verse 8, in Psalm 57, 1, in Psalm 63, verse 7, and it's used here in Psalm 91, verse 4. So sometimes the Bible invokes the motherly images and God's protection. And sometimes in these passages, the text emphasizes strong military images to stress his protection. In in verse 2, he's our refuge. He is our fortress. In verse 4, under his wings we seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield, verse 4, and a bulwark. And in the midst of all kinds of disasters, in the midst of mighty military foes and deadly pestilence, God provides protection. In verse 5, you will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. You notice, if you look at your text, that verse 5 refers to things by night and by day. Verse 6, in darkness and at noon. These are mirrorisms, as these take the two opposite ends of the poles, the two extremes, night and day, darkness and noon. It takes these extremes... It stresses God's protection over these extremes. And if God protects us in day and in night, that means he protects us at all times. 
There's nothing exempt from this picture. While people are dropping dead all around us, in verse 7, those evils don't come to us. In verse 8, we only look on with our eyes to see the wicked judged and the wicked recompensed. In verse 9, we have made God our refuge and the Most High our dwelling place. The language of verse 10, No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent is similar to the image of Proverbs 12 and verse 21. No harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked is full of trouble. How do we take these statements? How do we take these long-ranging or these far-reaching statements of God's protection and power If anyone encounters adversity and difficulties in life, does that mean they're not really trusting God? If that's the case, we're going to have a hard time explaining some of these psalms. We're going to have a hard time explaining some of these psalms that have only been written recently. If you go back and listen to Psalm 88 again, or refresh some of the details of it, just read it again, You may wonder if the writer of Psalm 88 ever met the writer of Psalm 91. In Psalm 88, it was darkness all day long. And in Psalm 91, it seems like there is unending light. God is even pictured as giving his angels charge over us in verses 11 and 12 to guard us in all our ways so we will not strike our foot against a stone. As people traveled long distances in Palestine, it was often done by foot. And as they traveled by foot, there weren't even roads on which to walk in this particular time. They would often hit the many stones along the way with their foot. Now, that's a painful thing. I'm not trying to downplay it. But I will say that's usually not a life-threatening injury to dash your foot against a stone while walking. And yet, the angels are said to protect us even from that. Again, how do we interpret all of this? Sometimes God's going to protect us from all harm and send his angels who are described as uh, ministers of those who are heirs of eternal life in Hebrews 1, 13 and 14 to protect us from all harm. But in verse 13, even those deadly creatures we encounter along the way, the lion, the cobra, we will be victorious over them. We will tread on them and trample over them and defeat them. Verses 14 through 16 form a fitting conclusion to this particular psalm. This section, verses 14 through 16, gives three conditions for God's people. To love God, in the first phrase, in verse 14. To know Him, or know His name, in verse 14. And then to call upon Him, 
in verse 15. To love God, the word that's used for love for God in verse 14 is used of God's love for us in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, or Deuteronomy 10, verse 15. It is sometimes used of a man's desire or longing for a woman in Genesis 34, verse 8, or Deuteronomy 21, verse 11. But only here in the Old Testament is it used of man's love for God. Because he has loved me. And maybe the picture of a man's desire and longing for a mate of the opposite sex is a picture of our desire and love for God. Because he has loved me, because he's known my name, he's known me and walked in fellowship with me, and because he calls upon me. These are the conditions, but there are seven or eight phrases and words that describe God's promises to us. Oh, God asks much of us, but God always promises more than he asks. God says to the one who has loved him in verse 14, God says, I will deliver him. And in verse 14, he says, I will set him securely on high. In verse 15, I will answer him. In verse 15, I will be with him in trouble. In verse 15, I will rescue him and honor him. Then in verse 16, God will satisfy him with long life and let him see his salvation. It is very interesting when we compare Psalm 91 and its far-reaching promises with Psalm 88 through 90. For example, in Psalm 88, verse 14, this question was asked, O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide? your face from me. Why do you hide your face from me? In Psalm 89, in verse 46, How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? The verb that is translated hide in Psalm 88, verse 14, in Psalm 89, verse 46, that root word, that verb that's translated hide, the same root word is used as a noun in Psalm 91 verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. The word shelter is from the same root as the word hide in Psalm 88 14 in Psalm 89 verse 46. The writers ask, God, why are you hiding your face? But God is not hiding from us. God seeks to hide us from harm. The writer in Psalm 88, verse 3, says that he has had enough troubles. 
But when he says that word troubles in plural in Psalm 88 in verse 3, it's the same word used in verse Psalm 91 verse 10 when it says no evil will befall you. In a way, Psalm 91 answers Psalm 88, Psalm 89, and Psalm 90. Psalm 90 had dealt with how transient life is, how short and brief it is. And Psalm 91, verse 16, God says, With long life I will satisfy him. The plea in Psalm 90, verse 14, Oh, satisfy us in the morning. In Psalm 91, 16, God will satisfy us with long life. The writer in Psalm 88, verse 9, felt like he called upon the Lord and the Lord didn't answer. But the same word for call is used in verse in Psalm 91, verse 15, where God promises he will call upon me and I will answer. In a way, Psalm 91 is an answer to Psalm 88 through 90. But, but how? Have you ever known faithful Christians to experience calamity and trouble, to experience difficulty and death? Have you known Christians, and even very young Christians, to experience a life full of trouble and to die in the prime of life or before even reaching the prime of life? I have. My guess is that you have too. Does this mean they were unfaithful? Because they didn't recognize the promise of Psalm 91? Or does it mean that Psalm 91 pushes us to the idea that even if we don't see this kind of protection, this kind of shelter, this kind of shielding of God's people in this life, that it will still be fulfilled in a life greater than this one, that there will be another world in which there will be a deeper and richer and greater fulfillment of Psalm 91. Some of us have known a level of crying out to God in the midst of difficulties and experiencing deliverance. Some of us have known that. Some of us have known it quite frequently. Some have hardly known it at all. The author of Psalm 88 seems to fall into that category. But the fact we don't experience it, God's deliverance, right here and right now, doesn't mean that deliverance won't come at all. Some of you recognize that Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, were quoted in the New Testament. They were quoted in Matthew 4 and verse 6. But the interesting thing about this quotation is that here the one who quotes it in the New Testament is Satan. Satan says, if you're the Son of God, he says this to Jesus, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, 
He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so you do not strike your foot against a stone. That's a quote from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Now, Jesus answers that quote with another quote. On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. A quote from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16. I think Jesus is being tempted by Satan to use his abilities, his powers, and his sonship to exempt himself from suffering, a path that would ultimately lead him to avoid the cross. And Jesus refuses to take that. But I think in the midst of this, Jesus shows us another interpretation of Psalm 91. Psalm 91 and every word it is promised will come true for the believer and more so. But it has to be filtered through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, sometimes those who believe in God will experience difficulties and hardships. As, as Luke chapter 21 prophesies that you'll be hated by all because of my name and that you will be persecuted and some will be even killed for their faith. Luke 21 verse 16 verse, verse 17. In Luke 21 verse 18 in this same context where Jesus said we'll be persecuted and killed. He said not a hair of your head will perish. That's a far-reaching promise. Kind of like Psalm 91. But in the resurrection, we will experience an abundance of life, a richness of life that's far beyond anything that we can experience here. Yes, Psalm 91 is true, even for those believers who've experienced being cut, cut down in the prime of life. Luke 10, verse 19, when the disciples cast out demons, Jesus referred to Psalm 91 in verse 13. You will tread upon serpents. They have done that in casting out demons. It's interesting that Satan quoted the passage in Psalm 91 in Matthew chapter 4. And yet, this passage may speak of Satan's demise. What do I mean by that? If you take the second line of Psalm 91 in verse 11, the Bible says, You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and serpent you will trample down. That second line, the word for lion that's used there, is also used in 1 Peter 5 verse 8 to talk about Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. The word that's used for cobra in the Septuagint, or the word, excuse me, for serpent in the Septuagint, in the second line of Psalm 91.13, that particular word is translated dragon in the Septuagint, a word that's used 13 times in the New Testament all in the book of Revelation, all in reference to Satan. 
Psalm 91.13 ultimately foretells of the doom of Satan. And so the very passage that Satan quotes to Jesus is a passage that foretells of his own destruction. Ultimately, Satan will be utterly defeated and God's people will know a life with no threat of death and no pain and no sorrow. Psalm 99 will be fulfilled, but it must be filtered through a picture of Christ's death and resurrection. May the Lord continue to bless you.